Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate, the independent republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelength, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. A very good morning to you. It's a pretty ghastly day out there. There's lots and lots of snow, though. There's lots of pictures of kids uh, sledging around uh, in places like Derbyshire. It all looks rather jolly. Uh, however, there are plenty of roads closed. There are plenty of railways shut. Uh, there might even be a few airports uh, that have got a few uh, problems going on. But do report them to us. We'll try and keep you updated if you are trying to get around. But I can barely see across the Thames this morning uh, because it's absolutely dull as dull can be. However, uh, inside this studio, it will be much much, much more opposite to that because it's not dull. It's the very least of dull because what's going on today uh, is even more exciting than what was going on yesterday. Uh, According to the Daily Mirror this morning, uh, Gary Lineker says, I will never be silenced. Well, I'm sorry to hear that because I'm sick of hearing from him. Um, He says he's going to go after the BBC. If they try and silence him, he's going to carry on. This is all going to end in tears for Gary Lineker. Mark my words, because when you get as big as Gary Lineker thinks he is, being paid over a million pounds a year of our money uh, to commentate on Match of the Day, a football show which is so past its sell-by date uh, that you can't even call it a football show anymore because they show football that everybody else has already seen uh, and then they commentate on things that have already happened but hours and hours and hours ago. Uh, Gary Lineker, of course, the man who went to Qatar uh, and said that he was going there to highlight the human rights abuses that were taking place but now still claims that he's a sports journalist who doesn't entertain the news side of things at all. Well, that's not true because who can forget the human rights special starring Gary Lineker uh, and of course um, Alan Shearer it was one of the greatest pieces of uh, panorama style TV that BBC have ever produced absolutely extraordinary Rod Little joins us this morning columns at the Sun of the Sunday Times of course and the Spectator he'll have a few wise words for Gary Lineker I'm sure he'll also have a few wise words for the BBC as well because Rod of course uh, used to be a part of the BBC we'll get his view on the migrants as well because of course all of the nasty ridiculous lefties now are going around calling everybody Nazis after Gary Lineker's tweet yesterday, in which he said basically the rhetoric coming from the government is the same as the rhetoric in 1930s Germany. The funny thing is, not one person that I've seen so far uh, in this kind of Twitter storm has managed to come up with anything uh, from 1930s Germany to compare and contrast with anything that anybody here has actually said. So as usual, it is a storm made up of a myth inside an enigma wrapped in an absolute ball of piffle. It's all nonsense, right? 
and it's all pointing at Gary Lineker and he's declaring how much he loves everybody and how thankful he is that so many really kind-hearted people support him. Of course, all these kind-hearted people hate people like me uh, and spend most of their time on Twitter calling me names, some of which begin with C, some of which begin with B and some of which begin with N and that would be the Nazi word. These people are unbelievable. Be kind, they say, before absolutely wishing you dead. Incredible. What a weird world we live in. 0344 499 1000. Rupert Bell joins us as well. We're going to be showing you the latest news from Montecito, uh, where Prince and Princess Archie and Lilibet now reside. Apparently, uh, they've got their titles now as a result of the racism ban being lifted. Huh? No. Uh, they've got their titles because, of course, they've fallen into line uh, because the Queen passed away and everybody moved up a, a, a notch. That's what happened. Uh, also, we'll be talking to Henry Bolton. We'll be talking, of course, uh, to Helena Nicklin because it is Thursday, so it's time for the Thursday Club. Loads more going on, of course, as well. Marco Longhi's here. It's all going to be very interesting. Hugh Andre as well is popping in. Uh, he's got some ideas to celebrate um, uh, the idea that it's going to be Veterans Day and there should be a proper Veterans Day in this country because, after all, Gary Lineker says he speaks for the people who don't have a voice. Well, why does he speak for the homeless veterans? That might be a good idea, but he doesn't, does he? No, instead he speaks for the people who dare not speak their name. They dare not speak their name because they don't know what it is, because they've thrown their passports in the sea. What's your name? I don't know. This is Talk TV. And a very good morning to you. Welcome to Thursday morning uh, on Talk TV. I should also say that we will later on in the show uh, be talking to somebody from The Sun about Mystic Meg, who sadly passed away. Uh, we'll bring you uh, a kind of a, a appreciation of her life and what she did. She was an iconic figure uh, in Fleet Street and somebody that, uh, that did an awful lot of good for an awful lot of people. But let's say a very good morning to Rod Little, columnist, of course, extraordinaire at The Sun, uh, The Sunday Times and The Spectator. Rod, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. Nice to see you. Nice mate. to see you. Now, how ridiculous uh, is this front page headline in the Daily Mirror? Lineker, I will never be silenced. I mean, does he think he's <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi now or something? It's incredible, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I mean, the man <clears throat> is a spavined idiot with the political nous of a vole sphincter muscle. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think he should be silenced. You know. I, Anyone who takes any notice of this jackass <laughs> only has themselves to blame. Let him continue. The real scandal, Mike, and, I, and this is serious, point, uh, is what the rest of the BBC has been doing on this story mm. in the news programmes, which has been a programme after programme of attacking the government <coughs> from a whole array of uh, uh, different individuals from the NGOs, the charities, the refugee, refugee agencies, the Labour Party, the European Court of Human Rights, the United Nations. Gary Lineker has never been more wrong when he says he's speaking for people who have no voice. They have the voice of everyone, yeah. and they're dominating the airways. Yeah. The people who don't have the, the, the voice are <coughs> the people of Kent who are sick of being, you know, um, terrorised in their own towns by hundreds of immigrants, or the little girl who was raped by an Afghan uh, asylum seeker, the same asylum, uh, asylum seeker who is trying to get back into the country right now. Yeah. And, who, will, and, who, and who, by the way, will probably <laughs> succeed. Right? You will probably what, sorry? And you'll probably succeed. You'll probably succeed, yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, Lineker's not the problem. The BBC is the problem. Uh, I don't, you know, 
I, I can't imagine anyone taking Gary Lineker seriously. No, but when... they do, though. But this is the trouble, Rod, because we now have a country riddled with people who do nothing but read The Guardian, watch the BBC. I believe them to be largely a kind of metropolitan elite type of people, you know, who, who look upon anything um, sort of in any way conservative with a small C to the right of Jeremy Corbyn as Nazi, actual Nazi. Anyone, anyone who uses a language like that about about this government is, by definition, a moron. Yes. Um, I, I mean, I, it, it's as simple as that. You may disagree with what the government's doing about asylum seekers. That's a perfectly reasonable position to take. Although it would be nice if you then explained what you think we should do. Yeah. Um, uh, to make sure that the most vulnerable of asylum seekers come here, rather than. 28-year-old Albanian men, yeah. you know, right. um, uh, if, you, if you could explain that, that would be cool. Uh, but that's not the point. Uh, it, you know, anyone who uses that sort of language about this government, or indeed anyone else, you know, about the Labour Party, uh, then, then it's, it's an absurdity. It's an absurdity. Well, it's not just as well the poor people of Kent and Sussex who sometimes actually witness, because I've seen it myself, people landing on a beach, getting out of yeah. a boat nowhere near any border force individuals and just simply walking into a town. You know, it happens yeah, every right. single day. You know, the people yeah. that we know about, the numbers that we know about, are way, are way below what the real numbers are. But the real um, people who are suffering are all over the country because I've been having calls. You know, we've been talking about this on Talk TV and Talk Radio for the best part of the last four or five years, right? Finally, yeah. the BBC is at least covering it. They're not covering it very well, but they used to completely ignore it. But, you know, I've been getting calls from people saying, you know, I tried to book a wedding uh, in my local hotel, um, which used to always do weddings. And they've just told me that um, I can't book the wedding because the, the, the hotel is booked out for the next two years. Without, without saying what's going on, it's very clear that they've rented it out to migrants and it's full. Yeah. Uh, other people I've been told, um, we had our wedding booked there, but they've now cancelled it. We know about a guy in, in, who was actually in Kent, a hotelier, who was offered a million pounds by Serco to block book his hotel for six months. And he refused. He said, I'm not doing that because I'm not going to turn on the people I've already got booked in for weddings and birthday parties and all the rest of it. You know, half the hotels in this country have now been filled up with 150,000 people. It's unbelievable. It's an absurdity. And of course, that's one of the reasons there have been these protests, you know, such as the one in Liverpool and the one in Carlisle. Uh, but, But I ought to come back to the BBC again on the... Because I watched a report on the BBC about the protests about asylum seekers being bussed into Carlisle and, and shoved in this this uh, hotel and hostel. Uh, and you have never seen a more biased piece of reporting. Mm. This was on uh, Look North, which I know you lot don't get down there. No, I'm sorry um, I don't get that. I'm sure it's great. That's <laughs> fabulous, mate. <laughs> uh, but it, but, but it, it, it took the point of view of the hope not hate anti-fascist uh, bores who were who lined themselves up to object to this yes. demonstration. Yes, it, it, it made no bones about it. It was on their side. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And the funny and, thing about this hope not hate crowd as well is that they seem to hate an awful lot of people. They hate an awful. They well, they hate me. I'm delighted to say, <laughs> which is, uh, which is uh, I mean, I've, I've always been, I've, I've always rather preferred hate to hope. Uh, I have to say, yes. in in general. Uh, I think I think it's a it's an undervalued commodity. Hate. Well, as they say, as they say in football terms, it's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you. That's <laughs> right. It's especially true if you're a Millwall fan. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. But the thing is, though, um, to be serious for a minute, you know, the Conservative government have been woeful. You know, we've had 
Boris Johnson, we've had Priti Patel, we've had Theresa May, we've had all these previous Home Secretaries vowing to do this, that and the other to stop the boats. The bottom line is, is that now people smuggling is actually more um, valuable to these smugglers than drug smuggling. You make more money now smuggling people than you would ever do smuggling cocaine. So it's a bit like standing up in the middle of a sort of drugs den and saying, we're going to stop all the drugs coming into this country simply by bringing in a new law. And you go, OK, are you sure that's going to work? I mean, I'm hoping it will work. And this is at least looking a bit more like a, a, a plan. But it's very difficult. Well, I, I do think the simple tenet that anyone who tries to enter the country illegally is debarred henceforth from claiming asylum. Mm. I think that is an important tenet which we should have put into effect and, and, and had our battles, therefore, with the European Convention on Human Rights and so on back in 2010. You know, it, 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 this has been going on for too long. So I think that's good. Um, the, the, the decision to, to send migrants back uh, to their country of origin, which in most cases is these days is Albania, but could also be Afghanistan. You're, you're not going to be able to send anyone back to Afghanistan. And I fear that no one will ever end up in Rwanda. No, no. <laughs> that's, I think that's the problem. Rwanda, Rwanda will be hosting the Eurovision Song Contest and be a parliamentary democracy by the time that anyone's allowed to be sent into Rwanda. You know, I know. They, they, they just won't. It will not happen. No. But, um, also, but also, we've also got this problem that, that, that England, Great Britain, is a soft touch. You know, I talk to people in France all the time, and the view of the French is that people come here because they know they'll get a better deal than if they stay in France. That's the reason. And the, the arguments that people make that, oh, well, they've got family here or, you know, they, they've been human trafficked, they've been trafficked or they've been victims of sexual abuse or whatever it is. You know, these lefties have got this idea that everybody who wants to come to Britain should be able to come to Britain and live here. Well, that's plainly insane. Well, I don't know, do they? You see, this is, this is the, the interesting point, which is that there is an argument it's not one I agree with, but there is an argument for saying every country should have totally open borders. You know, to, to, no, 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 no checks, no worries. If you want to come here, you come here. Uh, it's the internationalist argument. And I dare say there are a few civil servants, such as Sue Gray, who probably agree with things like that. Uh, but, but the Labour Party claims not to agree with that. Mm. And this is where, where I think the Labour Party has been particularly deceitful over this which is it's, it's capable of attacking the... It feels itself able to attack the Conservative government over what it calls a cruel and unworkable policy, but has nothing whatsoever to put in its place, but still will not go along with the notion uh, that we have to stop people coming in. It wants to have its cake and eat it, you know, and, and it can't do that. And there are an awful lot of people in that position. What do you do? I mean, you could, if you want, Mike, ask Mike Gary Lineker what he's going to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, he'll tell you that, of course, he led by example and put somebody up in his house. I mean, we never met the guy. We never saw a picture of him. But he's absolutely determined to tell us that he did put somebody up. And we have to take him at his word, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd get the hell back to Afghanistan if I was quartered with Lineker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you mind if I leave? Do you mind if I leave early? Um, yeah. Stay where you are. I'm going to come right back to you. We're talking to Rod Little. Uh, this is Talk TV. More after this. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. 
Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. We're talking to Rod Little about Carrie Lineker, uh, migrants, amongst other things. Let's have a look at a bit of Prime Minister's questions from yesterday, Rod, where uh, Rishi Sunak appeared to find a backbone. I don't know whose it was. Stopping the boats, Mr Speaker, stopping the boats is not just my priority. It is the people's priority. But his, posi his position on this is clear. He wanted to, in his words, scrap the Rwanda deal. He voted against measures to deport foreign criminals, Mr Speaker, and he even argued against deportation flights. He's just another lefty lawyer standing in our way. That was a great moment, actually. And I thought Rishi Sunak did pretty well yesterday. It's almost as though he's found himself um, a kind of a, a personality. I've, I've been saying for, for years now that, that the thing that which the Conservative Party can do to regain some of the votes it's lost uh, and which gives some clear blue water with the Labour Party over over affairs is, is something which Keir Starmer cannot address, which is all the woke issues. And yeah. uh, in the culture war, of course, the, the refugees are ludicrous, so it may seem, Part of that, uh, part of that culture war, um, and he's right. Starmer is right. Uh, uh, Rishi is right that you know the majority of the public want this sorted out. The majority of the public don't want to see people dying in the channel when their boats overturn, uh, and don't want to see uh, untrammeled immigration, uh, uh, untrammeled illegal immigration into this country. I mean, the, the, the opinion polls are pretty clear about that. So. If he if he continues to adopt this sort of line, and maybe extends it to understanding what, for example, a woman is, uh, then I, I think there are votes in it for yeah. for uh, for the Conservatives. I mean, maybe not enough now um, to to overhaul the Labour Party because I think it's also come down to issues of competence, attractiveness, uh, and and a general weariness on the part of the population yeah. that we've had these buggers for 12 years. There is a sense of that, isn't there? That, you know, it's yeah. to give the other yeah. lot a go. I mean, they can't, yeah. be, can't be much worse. They can be a lot worse. I did find it very amusing yesterday. One of the highlights of PMQs was um, Sir Keir Starmer wishing everybody a happy International Women's Day, uh, given yeah. that uh, he wasn't actually very sure whether he could define one. <laughs> yes, yes. No, that's, that's exactly right. <clears throat> and there are an awful lot of women, particularly. I mean, you know, women have tended to vote for for uh, left wingish parties, for the Liberal Democrats, for the sorry, right. it must be Keir Starmer yeah. ringing me. Right Maybe it's now. Gary Lineker. Maybe it's Gary. You know, it could Gary. be. Uh, but no, but no, the, 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 the women have tended to vote leftish. Uh, but if you could make this this argument over transgenderism and the disenfranchisement of women as mm. a consequence then I think an awful lot of women are going to end up voting Conservative. Yeah, and I think you know, you've you've seen the trouble in the Green Party, in the Scottish National Party, and in the Labour Party. Yeah. You know, they, they tear themselves to pieces over this because it's an absurdity. Yeah. You know, it's a palpable, clear absurdity. Well, also, isn't it amusing to see that what's happening in the SNP and in Scotland, uh, where Kate Forbes is being sort of vilified as, as if she's some kind of satanic cult worshipper because she happens to be a Christian who happens to think that, you know, uh, people should be married before they have sex, who happens to be quite conservative in her views about religion. Yeah. You know, I'm not particularly on her side on any of that, but, you know, give the woman a chance. I mean, you'd never say anything like that if somebody was of the Jewish faith or was a Muslim or was a Hindu, but it's all fair play if you're a Christian. Well, no, indeed. But, but I mean, in, in a sense, one of the interesting things about, about, uh, about her is that she was vilified uh, and there was an absolute howl round. As that always is when anyone is a Christian who, who says, actually, you know, I'm not terribly convinced by the idea of uh, gay marriage. Uh, 
Um, uh, and an opinion poll after her first, uh, I think just before the first leadership debate, gave her a commanding lead. So, you know, the public, the public don't go along with this rubbish. Right. Uh, it's the liberal media which it is. goes along with Absolutely, and right. it's a liberal media. It's a liberal media which did for Tim Farron when he was, you know, leader of the yeah. Democrats. Yeah, uh, and and couldn't couldn't leave his front door without saying something, without without a journalist saying, "You hate gay people." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, it was a kind of madness, right? I mean, the other great cult-worshipping uh, altar, of course, is Net Zero. And I loved your piece today about the uh, the fireball in Halifax in somebody's kitchen. Tell us about terrifying. That. Yeah. It was, it was terrifying. I, I, I mean, this, this bloke presumably put his e-bike down to charge up. <coughs> heard a heard a heard a heard a sinister popping noise coming from downstairs in the middle of the night. Wandered down the stairs to have a look at it, and the entire kitchen blew up. <laughs> uh, and of course, it, it's lithium batteries, which are a danger. Yeah. You know, they're a danger. You know, it's uh, we we race towards these these sunlit uplands of of carbon-free and, and and so on, without always understanding that there may be ramifications. It's a bit like we never look at the unforeseen consequences. We never do that. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't go to any other shop and bring back something which had a big sign on it saying, warning, this may spontaneously combust, and then put it in the kitchen, would you? <laughs> no, no, you wouldn't. Well, and I noticed as well that, that the fire service said that uh, you can only charge these things up if you're there watching them. Well, that's <laughs> You know, that's that's your life gone. Yeah, <laughs> sort of defeats the object, doesn't it? It's like the it's guy like who the there was a uh, there was a story the other day of a guy who went and uh, took his electric car to the airport, parked it, went away to Barcelona or something for the weekend. When he came back, um, it didn't have any charge in it, and of course you can't move a car once it's got no, no. charge in it. So he had to call a tow truck and get it towed away. Because apparently, what they didn't tell him uh, was that sometimes if you leave it for a few days without it being charged. Um, a bit like leaving a torch on, it just dies. Yes, no, I'm sure. And I, I, the other thing, it's, it's a prediction. This is a prediction you heard it here first. Uh, well, actually, didn't you? Might have read it in the Spectator a few years ago. <laughs> that by the time we've all got electric cars, it will be discovered, just as it was with diesel cars, that that the pollution generated by all the things which go into making yeah. electric cars and, and into generating the power itself uh, is more injurious in many ways than was the, the petrol car. Yeah. Not I, that I, I'm, a, I, I'm not a lover of petrol cars. I, I don't really like cars very much at all. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 you know, I'm not Clarkson on this, uh, but, but uh, it's, it's always the unforeseen consequences. Yes. No, absolutely right. Well, well, it's been described to me, and I love this particular uh, description of it, by Howard Cox, who runs the Fair Fuel UK organisation. He says that electric cars will turn out to be the Betamax uh, of modern yes. technology. And yes. actually what yes. will happen is that in about 10 years' time, they'll invent some kind of hydrogen car, which will be so much better, cheaper, more efficient. And yeah. anyone with an electric car will just look like a very stupid person who spent an awful lot of money on something they now can't sell to anyone. No, well, no, well that's right. And it's the principle of the thing. I remember when back in 1970... And someone in our street in uh, Middlesbrough got a colour TV. Yeah. And we all went up to watch it. Uh, we, were, we were watching Blackpool playing someone at right. football. But I can't remember who it was. <coughs> Blackpool seemed to be playing in green. Right. And their skin was green, you know, the players. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember my dad watching, watching this game. And I, I was like, can we have a colour TV? Can we have a colour TV? And he said, we'll get one when they work. 
Yes. Uh, we'll we'll wait a bit. <laughs> wait well, well I'm, 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 I suspect you may be old enough to remember uh, the Today newspaper, which was um, the first yeah. colour newspaper yeah. in Britain. I was their New York correspondent. And uh, people said to me uh, over the bar at Costello's, that'll never work. What on earth would you want to see pictures in colour for in a newspaper? <laughs> but of course... What they did with the first picture was quite remarkable. You couldn't, they used to call it Shah Vision because it was owned by a guy called Eddie Shah. I remember and, Eddie Shah. And the Shah, reproduction yes. was awful. And it was sort of like looking at something when you had about 58 pints of Guinness through a telescope. And that yeah. was the reproductive quality of the picture. But, you know, things did improve. But, I mean, the other great thing, um, of course, about all of this is that in the end, um, technology just continues to move on and the idea yeah, that you know right. we're now right. going to be saved by having electric cars and everything's going to be hunky-dory it just isn't well the same of course applies to heat pumps yeah which i noticed the middle class are now ripping out of their yeah. house yeah because they don't <laughs> work a friend of a friend of mine is, a friend of mine in scotland put them in and he's got quite a big house and he said that when it was really cold in december the temperature inside the house was six degrees <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could i could i can well imagine that and i'm I'm in a house up here in the in the middle of the Pennines, and I have to tell you, it's not very inclusive at the moment. Everything around me is white. <laughs> uh, uh, everything. Lovely. Beautiful. And, and, yeah, very beautiful, but it's freezing. If we had a heat pump, you know, I would be wrapped in swathes of blankets. Yeah. Uh, they, they, it's, again, another piece of technology which doesn't yet work properly. Mm. You know? It may never work properly, but there we it are. It may never work I actually properly. heard, I'm gonna, we're going to have to run because we're late, but I heard, I'm going to tell you this story. I heard a ridiculous story, a conversation on Radio 4, which I know I shouldn't listen to, but it's for my own punishment, um, of a guy who was actually talking about, unfortunately, the, the life of a battery and whether the battery, if you're on a long journey, the battery runs out uh, and you haven't got anywhere to charge it. His suggestion was that you tow another battery behind the car. <laughs> I'm going, sorry. <laughs> it's a bit like one of those old old movies where you keep sort of yes. you tow another yes. car behind the one you're in in case you crash it, you know. Yes. Do you remember those vans which were powered by gas? Yes. And which had big balloons on the top? Yes. Yeah, unbelievable. Really hilarious. Yeah. It's like something out of oh, Heath Robinson, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> listen, uh, great to talk to you. Rod Little, uh, tremendous. Once again, columnist at the Sun and the Sunday Times. Really been the spectator as well. This is Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Loads coming up in this hour. We'll bring you updates on what's going on with HS2. Apparently the government uh, is going to announce that very shortly uh, they're going to do away with certain sections of HS2 uh, because they don't want to spend any more money on it, uh, which means that they're not only not building it, it probably never be built. Uh, the HS2 project has been doomed from the start. As I've always said, uh, Simon Clark, former Chief Secretary to the Treasury, said this. Uh, this would be a sensible decision, having observed HS2's progress as Chief Secretary. I've serious doubts as to value for money and cost control. I mean, it's almost like the Scottish Parliament, this. It's going to end up costing ten times what they said the budget was at the beginning. Absolute shambles. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Alison in St Albans says, the Queen of Denmark has taken the prince and princess titles away from the second son's children. Charles should do the same. Yeah, absolutely right. I don't really see why. I don't really care if they want to call themselves prince and princess. I mean, you know, it makes no difference to me as long as they're not taking any public money. But you know they're doing it for the, for the dollar, don't you? Because that's all they care about over there in uh, Montecito Towers because uh, 
They never know when the money's going to run out, man. They just don't. Anyway, uh, coming up in this hour, we're going to speak to uh, Rakiba San about what's going on with the migrant bill, exactly how, uh, if possible, uh, the Conservative Party is going to make this new operation work, what Keir Starmer is going to do uh, if they vote against it, whether that makes any difference at all. Um, also, we'll be talking to Detective Superintendent Rick Seawitz because he uh, has just been in charge of an operation where they've arrested over 200 people in a crackdown on county lines drug smuggling and drug dealing. 200 arrested drugs, guns and swords seized. We'll find out exactly what that is all about. And also we'll bring you an update uh, on the situation regarding Sadiq Khan and of course uh, the ULES row because apparently now people have started vandalising cameras that have been put up uh, because people are sick to death of it in London and the outer reaches of London and they're not going to pay the fines. They just don't want to. Also, we'll keep talking about electric scooters because I need some stories on that. And the snow, a lot of snow in Tamworth apparently up in the Midlands. Uh, and Jimmy says this, 8.45, took the kids to school, 10 o'clock, school was closed. I don't understand why they closed schools just because it's snowing. I mean, if some teachers can't get in because there's a, you know, a sort of half an inch of snow... What the hell is the point of shutting the school? Just say, well, there's a couple of teachers who aren't here. What's the problem? 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Max says this, everyone landing on our shores must be photographed and fingerprinted. How on earth can we trace these tens of thousands of unknowns, including criminals? Many of them can disappear and might even obtain forged documents. Organised criminally, illegal gangs are involved here. Well, of course they are. Everybody knows the people trafficking, smuggling gangs are making millions and millions of pounds every single day. They're almost making as much money as Serco, uh, who are a legitimate company, who are making millions and millions of pounds every day from housing these migrants in hotels. The bottom line is that this is a massive, massive economic dividend for all sorts of people. And to break that up, the government is going to have to work damn hard and they're going to have to make some very difficult and cruel choices as far as the left are concerned. But Gary Lineker moaning on and on about, you know, we're turning into Nazi Germany. Absolutely nothing ridiculous. Let's talk right now uh, to Rakib Hassan and get his view. Rakib, very good after, very good morning to you, I should say. Morning, how are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Slightly bemused by the reaction of some people in this country calling out the, uh, the Tory government as kind of, you know, beginning the institution of sort of, you know, Nazi German tactics from the 30s. I mean, it really is quite remarkable how extreme some people on the left have become. No, I, I couldn't agree more, Mike. I, I feel that uh, people uh, can make legitimate criticisms of the Conservative government's immigration asylum policy without comparing it to Nazi Germany. Yeah. Uh, I feel that those comparisons are entirely crass. I think they're criticisms to be made in terms of uh, the Conservative Party failing to deliver on its numerous promises when it comes to shoring up our border security. Yeah. Uh, but, but I feel here what we have, we have a situation where there are uh, a variety of actors who are very good at criticising uh, Tory policy when it comes to uh, improving our border security, trying to streamline our asylum system. Uh, but they don't provide uh, many alternatives of their own. So it's very much uh, a great deal of criticism coming uh, the Conservative government's way. But these very actors are very reluctant to understand that there has to be a degree of prioritisation based on vulnerability and need when it comes to rehoming asylum seekers 
in the UK. Well, exactly right. Because the point is, is that, you know, all these do-gooders and legal firms and charities and all these people who talk about, um, you know, representing those without a voice, a little bit like um, Gary Lineker says, you know, what about the people who are now sitting, uh, waiting to get heating turned on because they haven't got enough money because they can't pay for anything? What about the homeless on the streets of this country in this kind of weather and the cold? You know, there's plenty of people in this country who don't have a voice if people want to stand up for them, but they don't seem to care about them. I agree. I think that the Home Secretary recently announced that we're spending in the region of £7 million a day um, on hotels when it comes to rehoming newcomers. And I think that, in the middle of a cost-of-living crisis, I think that's a serious threat to social cohesion. And the reality is when you dig deep into the figures, uh, when it comes to the rehoming of asylum seekers, providing support in the form of dispersed accommodation, it's usually the relatively deprived local authorities, Mike, which are doing much of the heavy lifting, while more of the liberal-minded, affluent local authorities uh, they really do not do their fair share when it comes to rehoming asylum seekers. And I think there's a great deal of hypocrisy involved when it comes to our current debates on immigration and asylum. Yeah. And it's almost as though these people have not seen the actual effects of this mass immigration, because that's what it now is. And regardless of whether or not these are people uh, who are all doctors or all scientists or all teachers, you know, they're, they're being housed all together uh, in crowded areas of cities in hotels where they're free to roam around the streets and it creates a bad atmosphere. There's no doubt about that. And it's nothing to do with how um, well-meaning or otherwise that the individuals might be. They may well be, but they've come here from a foreign country. They've come here uh, to a different country which they don't necessarily understand. They may not speak any English. You know, it's ludicrous to expect you, that you can basically dump thousands of these people into the cities of this country and nothing will change and nothing will happen. No, absolutely. And I think that the reality is some of the uh, poorest, most deprived parts of the country, they've been treated as dumping grounds yeah. when it comes to rehoming asylum seekers. That's the reality of it. We have a crisis of external security in terms of our poorest borders. But as you say, we also have a crisis when it comes to internal security. Uh, many forms of accommodation uh, when it comes to rehoming asylum seekers are poorly supervised. Mm not necessarily well regulated and there was a report that was published last summer Mike which which concluded that hundreds of hundreds of migrants had absconded um, from these various forms of accommodation yeah. so uh, that that represents a notable security threat in itself considering the number of undocumented people who are arriving in the UK on small boats via the English Channel. Yeah. So I think that we have that crisis of external security and we certainly have issues in terms of internal security as well. Well, exactly right. And I mean, the problem as well is for people who are on housing lists, because we've seen that Serco, particularly in Stoke, I was talking to Jonathan Gullis MP about this the other day, certainly in Stoke and I'm sure other cities as well, Serco um, and, and local authorities are advertising for people to be landlords to come forward to kind of basically provide housing. Uh, which will be guaranteed for five years, all expenses paid, all rent paid, all bills paid, council tax paid by Serco, because Serco are getting all this money from the government, billions and billions of pounds. I mean, the only people making more money out of this um, asylum racket uh, than the actual people smugglers are the private companies like the hotel companies in Serco and others who are getting all these contracts. Well, I think that what you've described there is... Uh... The, the, the truly sinister side of capitalism, 
in a sense. I think that's the reality. Well, it's not of capitalism, it. isn't it? I mean, capitalism for me is nothing to do with getting a sweetheart contract from a government which is uh, allowing you, as the only operator, to do business with them, which is guaranteed. Well, I mean, some people would describe it as cronyism. Yeah, I think, I think that, that that's one that's one way to put it. Yeah. And, and I think that the real issue here is that the way you described it, there's, there's, there's some actors who are very much benefiting from an economic dividend yeah. um, out, of the, out of the ongoing small boats crisis. Uh, the, the recent, uh, recently published French data suggested that in the region of £183 million was made by people smuggling infrastructures. Mm. So th this is a very profitable business. And what we have, we have an asylum system where uh, the, the, the responsibilities for running our asylum system are almost being outsourced mm. uh, to clandestine enterprises. And that's simply not a sustainable situation at all. No, it really isn't. But there's nothing to stop these people from coming. Um, as I've said before, it's very clear that most of them are coming for a better life, for an economic reason. Even if you took the view that they're none, none of them are criminals, none of them are coming here from Albania, none of them are coming here to join drug gangs, none of them are coming here to work in the black economy. Even if you took that view, they're certainly not coming for any reason other than um, they want to live here and because it's an attractive proposition. It, it is, but, but it's not Britain's job to be some kind no, of international outpost to maximise global welfare. No, but these welfare. lefties, though, these lefties, Rakeem, the people who all think Gary Lineker is suddenly now their hero, he only, he only started reading uh, about 10 years ago and he suddenly discovered politics about five years ago uh, when he didn't like the idea of us leaving the European Union, you know. But, you know, suddenly he's their sort of hero, he's their talisman, um, and he wants everybody to be able to come and live a lovely life in Britain. Well, welcome to the real world, matey. It isn't like that. No, and the reality is anyone who tries to um, strike uh, parallels uh, over matters of immigration asylum with Nazi Germany, which is intent on the extermination of Jewish people, shouldn't be treated as a national hero. No. Uh, in, in my book, I think that more generally, when it comes to the existing problem, you have those uh, celebrities who are very well resourced. Uh, the, the, the reality is a combination of industrial scale illegal immigration in the middle of a cost of living crisis mm. uh, that that's a serious threat to the sustainability of the welfare state as well mike so uh, the likes of gary lineker that they have the luxury to virtue signal when it comes to mm. matters of immigration asylum because they're insulated from the fallout yeah they don't live down the road from one of these hotels the britannia hotels for example holiday inns i'm told are being used now as well um uh, where literally all day and all night um, there are things going on that didn't used to happen. No, and I think that it's a point that we've made on a number of occasions during our past conversations, Mike. These hotels, they often serve a vital community function. Mm. Uh, they're really important hubs of social interaction for established local communities in terms of holding uh, birthdays, wedding receptions, engagement parties and all the rest of it. And I wouldn't undermine the importance of that because they're, they're in themselves, they're facilities of community pride and belonging. So now for the hotels to uh, essentially be uh, rehoming asylum seekers mm. who have not been in the country very long at all and pe people in those established communities being deprived of those facilities, that can create a great deal of res resentment in the local communities uh, that we're referring to. No, absolutely right. What chance do you think there is of success with this bill then, finally? I think the bill, I think, I think it, uh, it builds on the Nationalities and Borders Act quite well. I think there are serious problems uh, with that act. 
but saying that, I can de I, I definitely see it being bogged down by an array of legal challenges, Mike. And there's also the issue that um, the European Court of Human Rights may deem uh, certain provisions of that to be unlawful. Mm. Um, so that naturally uh, leads us to, to the main point. Would the Conservative Party be open to withdrawing from the ECHR if the court deems uh, the, the, these new laws uh, to be unlawful. Mm. And I think that may well be the strategy here, in a way, that the bill may not be workable uh, in, the, in its current form based on the legal structures that we have in place. And it, it could well be the case that the Tories campaign on ECHR withdrawal ahead of the next general election. Right. We'll see if that happens. Rakeem, thanks very much indeed. Rakeem is there, social policy analyst and writer, of course, on the migrant laws that Rishi Sunak wants to bring in. Um, how about this? Mike, if the law was amended to make the security, safety, health and well-being of UK citizens take priority over human rights, wouldn't that put a stop to continual appeals? Simples. Colleen. Well, you would think, wouldn't you? This is Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Independent Republican Mike Graham podcast uh, so you never miss a moment from the show. Subscribe and download it now from wherever you get your podcast. And the daily podcast is out pretty much just after the show ends. So look for it after one o'clock today uh, and you'll find some great delights uh, in the back catalogue as well, if you so wish. How about this from um, uh, James? Let's just ban e-scooters altogether. They shouldn't be on the pavement and basically shouldn't be there full stop. Well, that's right. And Pete says, I think you're spot on, Mike. HS2 will never be finished, certainly not in my lifetime. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. And Mike says, great show so far, as always. Regarding e-scooters, they are just a bad invention. If they want to race around at speed, terrifying people, let them race around running tracks, uh, running tracks, taking turns to be the pedestrian and crashing into each other. Cyclists, don't get me started. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the problems with these illegal electric scooters is they are used by an awful lot of nefarious people. I would guarantee you, if you stopped half the people on electric scooters in any major city, they were probably up to no good. Uh, speaking of which, let us now talk to Detective. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Superintendent Rick Seward, uh, who's lead officer for County Lines at the Metropolitan Police, because uh, they've just conducted a massive operation in which over 200 people were arrested, over £1 million worth of drugs were seized, um, and this was all going on uh, just in the last week or so, uh, between the 27th of March and the 5th, uh, sorry, the 27th of February and the 5th of March. Let's talk to uh, Detective Super Rick now. Rick, a uh, very good morning to you. 
Good morning, Mike. This is, a, this, is a, this is a great, uh, great operation. I mean, we know that the drugs business has now sort of moved out into the shires, if you like. It's no longer just an inner city problem. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, this operation, how many officers you, you, uh, you were involved with. Yeah, well, as you say, Mike, I think it's um, uh, County Lines is something which is um, uh, which most people will have heard of these days. Mm. And it's a drug supply network model which uh, moves from uh, metropolitan cities like London uh, across um, the country and focuses on targeting uh, vulnerable people who are often exploited uh, and involved, uh, sadly, in serious violence. We've uh, worked together over the last week with uh, hundreds and hundreds of police officers across the country. Um, the MET has worked with uh, county forces across the UK uh, and also lots of partners to actually tackle the serious uh, issue that County Lines brings and the threat it brings um, to our, our communities, Mike. Yes, indeed. And what can you tell us about um, how you were able, without wishing to give anything away, I mean, how you were able to sort of follow the, the, the money and the drugs, if you like? You know, what's the chain? What does it look like? Where does it come from? How does it get into the country? And how is it then sort of distributed? Yeah, um, well, what I can say is that we take a data-driven approach to tackle this type of drug supply. Um, most dr uh, drug supply is no different to any kind of uh, criminal market. Um, it need, they need to supply to a vast number of people and a vast number of users, uh, and they often use, uh, do so by using technology, including uh, telecommunications networks, so mobile phones. The, the term county lines itself comes from the fact that that's the mobile phone which supplies the drugs. And we actually focus on using that data to identify those people who are responsible for this um, uh, drug supply model. And we uh, are very pleased that, you know, since uh, November 2019, we've arrested over 1,800 offenders and our county lines task force in London has charged 88% of those people with drug trafficking offences, which I think just gives you an idea of the quality of methodology mm. and the fact that we do uh, charge the vast majority of people who are arrested. And you've seized 35.9 kilograms of drugs, which seems an awful lot of uh, drugs, £650,000 in cash, 51 weapons. I mean, there's a picture here of firearms, multiple knives, machetes, saws. I mean, it's terrifying, isn't it? It's absolutely terrifying, and um, unfortunately, that's a, a reality of this type of criminality. Um, to give a bit of context to that, Mike, this financial year, um, of those people that we've arrested and charged for county lines offending in London, over 80% 80, 80 of those have been previously arrested for violence-related offences, yeah. which demonstrates that the people we're arresting are intrinsically involved in serious violence. Right. And is it a gang-run business, or does it tend to be smaller operations? Is it sort of? Is there a kind of mastermind behind it all somewhere? It's it's a criminal-run business. It's as simple as that. And gangs uh, often are involved in criminality, as are organised crime networks. And ult ultimately, unfortunately, it's quite a lucrative business uh, because these networks are preying on areas which are often socially and economically deprived, and um, they look at obviously pushing Class A drugs which are highly addictive onto those communities, um, which have a massive impact in terms of antisocial behaviour, burglary and robbery in those particular areas. Right. 
And as far as the money that they make, I mean, is that laundered in some way? Where is that? Because we hear an awful lot about businesses that have been started up in some areas of Britain, uh, which didn't have those types of businesses before. I'm talking about things like car washes, talking about things like the sort of barbers shops that open up in towns which didn't seem to used to have them. Is there any connection to any of that? We can't. I can't say that there's a clear causal link between um, those types of establishments. I think it's fair to say that a lot of those establishments, like car washers, um, are often linked to international human trafficking rather than domestic human trafficking, which is a county lines related issue. Right. Um, is there a connection with the drug business, though? Is what I'm asking you. Well, I think drugs is intrinsically linked to pretty much most uh, most most aspects of crime and organised yeah. crime. So I think almost unquestionably, where there is money being laundered unlawfully, it will have some link to drug supply at some right. stage. Yeah, and presumably it have some link to human trafficking as well. Absolutely, and what we're obviously focusing on this year is to really crack down on the trafficking of children and young people on mm. county lines. And the task force in London has rescued twenty eight. Young, uh, young people um, across the UK from county lines um, this year alone, which is more children we've rescued on county lines than ever before. Yeah. And are they from foreign countries or are they from here? No, they're uh, uh, almost all uh, British uh, children who have been trafficked predominantly from um, London uh, and have been rescued out in the counties on county lines, often in really terrible conditions, uh, where they've not been fed properly and the, the conditions are terrible, as you said. Mm. They're often given weapons like combat knives, which exposes them to significant risk uh, and asked to hold and facilitate that drug supply, uh, which puts them in such grave danger. Uh, and what I'm really pleased to say is that out of those 28 children that we have rescued, only one of those children has been prosecuted for uh, county lines offending mm. and drug supply and we uh, the other 27 have been uh, referred into support services to divert them away from criminality yeah. so a key message is that we're not seeking to criminalize young people we're seeking to actually wherever possible give them a route out of this cycle um, of exploitation and what about people who are living in parts of the country which which perhaps they think of slightly changed recently i mean what what can they be looking out for if they're if they're worried that you know the drugs business is kind of moving in if you like well unfortunately uh, drug supply uh, and county lines is no different is often quite um an overt sort of criminality and people would see um exchanges potentially taking place in the street once the problem becomes uh, um, uh, sort of escalated in that particular area. We would ask them to contact their local neighbourhood policing teams uh, to inform them of that uh, type of activity which is happening to help us identify those hotspots. We'd ask them to give information to Crime Stoppers anonymously um, to help us to detect that issue and better identify those networks so that we can dismantle them and hopefully make their communities better. Okay. And safer. Well, thanks very much indeed. Detective Superintendent Rick Seawert, lead officer for County Lines of the Metropolitan Police, saying that they've, see, they've, they've seized uh, a million pounds worth of drugs and cash, possibly even more than that. It's an incredible business, the drug business, because you just make more and more money. Uh, the more drugs you buy, the more money you make, and that's why so many people go into it. But you've heard there, frontline human trafficking and drug dealing go hand in hand. So if you think that all of the people who are coming over on these boats are doing anything other than um, uh, not being victims or not being possibly trafficked into drug businesses, 
then you must be barking up the tree of madness, mustn't you? This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Got lots to talk to you. Can't even speak. Got lots to talk to you about uh, today. Uh, coming up later on, of course, it's Thursday, so Helena Nicklin uh, will be popping in uh, with a bit of a celebration for International Women's Day. And if you think it's a day late, uh, actually there's a conversation going on in the House of Commons today uh, on International Women's Day. Uh, we celebrate it every day here, of course, at Talk TV, uh, because why wouldn't you? Um, don't miss... Chris Evans, Ricky Wilson and Graham Norton, uh, who are all now only on Virgin Radio. I said yesterday, isn't it amazing how all these people are leaving Radio 2? Why wouldn't you? What an absolute dirge of a place that's become. Listen to it on DAB, download the app or ask your smart speaker to play a Virgin Radio. Now, we're going to talk in a moment to Councillor Colin Smith, the leader, of course, of Bromley Council. We've spoken to him before. It turns out that uh, the latest news on the ULES front, and this is a story that we do from time to time here at Talk TV, and it's particularly in the Independent Republic, because uh, the massive money-making scam artist, uh, who is, of course, the one and only Mayor of London, who wants to take as much money from drivers as physically possible, um, he's decided to extend uh, the ULES zone, uh, which is the ultra-low emission zone, even further out into the far reaches uh, of the outskirts of London, But there's a lot of opposition, both politically, coming from ordinary people, working men and women, but also now some of the cameras that are being installed have been vandalised. Let's have a look at what Sadiq Khan said about some of the people who disagree with him. This was just last week. There are objections in 2006 when we banned smoking from public places, and there are objections now. What I find uh, unacceptable, though, is some of those who've got legitimate objections joining hands uh, with some of those outside who are part of a far-right group who are... (laughs) Some of those... Some of those... Some of those outside... Some of those... Some of those... Let's be frank. Let's call call a spade a spade. Some of those outside are part of the far-right. Some are... Some are COVID deniers, some are vaccine deniers, and some are Tories. There you go. Vaccine deniers, COVID deniers, and even, heaven forbid, Tories. Heaven's sake, imagine that. I mean, I'm amazed he didn't use the word Nazi, to be honest. I mean, that seems to be the word every lefty uses these days. Let's talk to Colin Smith, uh, leader of Bromley Council. Colin, very good morning to you. Morning, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Pleasure to speak to you once again. Um, this story um, isn't getting any better for Sadiq Khan. Presumably at some point you might actually recognise that, one, the opposition to this idea is not simply based on uh, a bunch of mad far-right wingers uh, who don't fancy the idea uh, of being enslaved forever in his, in his kind of power. It's actually about ordinary people who don't want this. Um, people are now taking, uh, taking, uh, taking sort of upon themselves to, to vandalise some of these cameras have been put up, which, of course, they shouldn't be doing. But you've got to say, he must at some point realise that this is a bad idea. Well, Mike, um, some of us have been telling Mr Khan literally now for months that people out there are very, very frightened and they're frightened about their care networks breaking down. They're frightened about losing their jobs. They're afraid of they're afraid of having to find new jobs. And people are worried about their businesses collapsing. Mm. Um, but people have been completely ignored. And we then saw events in Ealing last week. And 
frankly, um, those of us that are watching these things very closely really do wonder whether the mayor's beginning to lose the plot completely. Mm. He's clearly a man under intense pressure, but calling, I don't know, lifelong Labour supporters, right-wing, COVID-denying, vaccine-dodging loons is, yeah. wow, um, where's that come from? I know. Well, this is what happens, though, when people are in power for too long, I think, and they get to the point, a bit like Nicola Sturgeon, where they think they can do anything. They get well past the point where uh, they care what the public thinks because they think they know best. It's a kind of messianic messi messi complex, I think they call it. But, I mean, what about the people around him? I mean, are there any people around him who can be kind of persuaded that this is un uh, not a very sensible course of action? Yes, Mike, there are. Um... There are very sound, very sensible Labour politicians. Um, you know, this isn't a, a political thing mm. as it's being con construed. There are sound Labour politicians in London who can see exactly what the objectors are saying and agree with them. And it's those people, mm. those Labour MPs, those Labour councillors that are actually his weak spot, his Achilles heel, because they are the people he has to listen to. Mm. He can dismiss us out in the outer London suburbs, Tory boroughs. He doesn't care. What he can't ignore is his own power base. And that are those are the people that support him. No, of course. And you were um, talking to me last time about the possibility of a legal challenge. I know there are some going on. Any news on, on that front? <clears throat> yeah, Mike, I can't go into detail as previously, but the next week or so should be definitive. Um, letters have been, uh, points of detail have been exchanged mm. between the objectors and TfL in terms of next steps. That process, should we hope, be finalised by next Friday, 17th, yeah. um, at which point it will go up to the Lordships to decide whether the case is substantive enough to take forward, which we firmly believe it is. Yes. And I was uh, the unfortunate recipient of a penalty charge notice the other day because I stopped rather unwisely in the middle of the night uh, to get something from a shop. Didn't realise it was a red, um, a red line zone or something. Um, is there any plans, do you know, for him to extend that? Because you know how they love to get penalty charge notices put on people. You know, would he, do you think, start to make, you know, um, red routes out of some of these roads that he's thinking of putting cameras on as well? Well, all of the red routes in London will be included within the mayor's scheme. He can do that anyway, that's his right. Those are his powers. It is disputed what he can and can't do on the borough roads and that's still to be determined. But my, the key thing about this, I would return to, if I may, for your, for your viewers. Yes. This isn't actually about health and it isn't about air quality. What the mayor is attempting to do without a political mandate is set in place a web of cameras that cover every single road across the capital. Mm. Those of us that have seen the plans know how extensive it is, at which point he will introduce road price charging, whether you've got a green car, a hybrid or a diesel. Um, that's the ultimate game plan. That That's the end game. Yeah. Absolutely right. And this is probably going to sound like a bit of a weird question, but I do quite a lot of driving because at the moment we're based in two different places in London. And the other night when it was very, very wet and rainy, um, 
and quite dark. I noticed that it was sort of darker driving around the streets of London. I don't know whether there's anything that's been done. I know in my own street they've changed the lighting and it's actually lighter in my street than it used to be. But in some parts of London, it seems as though the lights have actually got dimmer. I hadn't heard that, Mike. Don't know about that. And certainly, as it were, we haven't turned the power down in right. Bromley to save money. Right. Um, but it is, it is perhaps true that the new LED lights, some people perceive them to be brighter others perhaps perceive them yeah. to be slightly darker um, an age-old conversation about that but it would be interesting i mean if anyone wants to know about that they should write to their boroughs and ask yeah. because i've not heard it but that doesn't mean it's not happening yes no well you're giving me a food for thought there that's an interesting uh, response but thank you very much again as ever colin for talking to us colin smith the leader of bromley council now i don't know about you um but I, had to, I was driving out to, to, to the west of London where we have our TV studios the other day and it was torrential rain. There was an accident on um, one of the bridges. A cyclist had, of course, uh, collided with a car. Not surprisingly, because you can't actually see the cyclists when it's raining, when it's dark, because most of them just have one light. They don't quite often even have high-vis clothes on. So there was a problem there. But also I just noticed in certain parts of London, particularly sort of the centre of town, there's an awful lot of very, very dark streets. Now, you might think I've gone a bit mad here, but I know that when they replaced the, uh, the lights on my own street where I live, the, uh, the, the new lights, the new LED lights, were actually an awful lot brighter. I remember looking out one night, um, and this was way back probably a few years ago when I used to work more in the evenings, um, and thinking, my goodness me, what have they done to the street? It's been lit up like a film set. But quite the reverse in other streets, and I wonder whether you've noticed that. And if you have, I'd love to hear from you. 0344... 499-1000. Brian's in Newcastle. Hi, Brian. Hi, mate. How are you doing, sir? I'm fine, thank you. Um, uh, if you just bear with me, I am a bit nervous. I've never, be, ever listen, mate, done anything like this before. Please don't I, be I, nervous. Because you're so strong, yeah. I feel I have to say something. Well, please do, and don't, and don't be nervous. Take your time. Okay. It just seems to me that a lot of the problems that the country is having at the moment with migration and other things, such as transgender issues being taught to kids in school, mm. are down to the European Court of Human Rights. Yeah. Now then, if the government is not comfortable with withdrawing from the Human, the human Rights Court, let the people decide, mm. let's have a referendum on it. Yeah. And that will take all responsibility from the government, and of course, if they have a referendum, it will have to be adhered to. Yes, unlike the Just last one. Same, same as Brexit. Yeah, well, they had to adhere to it in the end. They tried bloody hard not to. Well, it took two years to try and do it, didn't it? It did. Exactly right. More, actually. I mean, it wasn't really until the election of 2019 that, that, that it, the whole thing changed because the Tories got a big enough majority to make it happen. Well, well, that's right. But I think there's, there's not just a migration issue. As I say, there's a lot of things going on in this country that the vast majority of people who don't get a decent say, Mike, yeah. this country gives far too much time to minority groups. Yes. Exactly right. And do you know I'm why? Minority groups should be ignored. They have, they have the whip, but the, this is a democracy. The yeah. majority rules, mate. Exactly right. No, listen, Brian, you're absolutely right. And the reason, of course, they get so much time and so much attention is because they make the most noise. Guys like yourself, like you say, you've only done this now because you've sick to the back teeth of it. You've been driven to it. But up until now, you've been quiet. Well, that's right. And I, quite, I don't know. Same as Brexit, mate. They said Brexit will never happen. There's no enough people for it. I never knew anybody that wanted to be in the EU. Yeah. I didn't uh, well, I'd go out for a pint with my friends. When I was at work, everybody was against it. I'm yeah. retired now. Um, and they just have got it totally yeah. wrong. 
Yeah. They got it totally wrong. And I think if this went to a referendum tomorrow, would be out tomorrow morning. Yes. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Brian, great call. And thank you for making it. And do make another one because you're very good at it. Brian in Newcastle there uh, said he was nervous. Of course, he shouldn't be nervous. There's no reason to be. Call this place because this is the home of common sense. And it's also the place where we welcome your opinions. You know, you won't get out of the BBC. They don't welcome your opinion. Uh, at other places, right? I heard um, another radio station yesterday taking a call from someone. Started slagging him off because he doesn't like the idea uh, of too many migrants coming to this country. Incredible. Started slagging him off because he didn't like Gary Lineker's view. You know, you ring a radio station, you get slagged off. This is Talk TV. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're going to be celebrating the Thursday Club coming up with Helena Nicklin in a little while. And we should be raising our glasses today uh, because we've got some sad news this morning that um, astrologer... Margaret Lake, who you might not know as Margaret Lake, but you might know as Mystic Meg, um, has passed away at the age of 80. Uh, I'm joined now by Mike Ridley from The Sun, who's known probably Mystic Meg for as long as anybody has. Welcome to the show, Mike. You and I have known each other for quite Mike. a long time, it has to be said. Um, I think I might have encountered you at some point in the 80s, <laughs> but we'd rather, we'd better we'd not, rather go not go, we'd better into, go into that. that. But yeah. Mystic Meg was something of a cultural icon, really, for many decades, wasn't she? I mean, she came to the sun, but she ended up on the National Lottery Show. I mean, she was a woman of, of, of some substance for, for what you might call an astrologer. She was. And what was amazing about her is she's part of British life yeah. now. If you were to get a politician in yeah. this seat now and you'd give him a tricky question, he'd say... Who do you think I am, Mystic Meg? Exactly right. It and became it, part, part of, of our it, language. It did become now. part of the language, didn't it? Absolutely right. And you would have known her. She was she was a sort of an iconic figure at the Sun. She must have been there pretty much since the beginning, right? She was there. Yeah. She. she what happened was she was a sub editor on the News of the World magazine. Right. right. Um, and one day the stars didn't come in. Right. And the editor's going, what am I going to do? And she knew that this sub-editor, who was calling herself Meg Markova then, actually was interested in astrology and Mm. had a bit of a psychic gift. Mm. And she said, could you do it? She wrote 12 beautiful um, horoscopes. And the editor went, that's it, you're Mystic Meg. And that's how it started. And that's how it started, brilliant. Uh, And I mean, she was loved by many people oh, i mean because yeah. no matter what you say about newspapers one of the reasons people buy newspapers is for the if it's the horoscopes isn't it yeah and and you take which is a bit galling for, for the journalist because you're going i've got this great story and you're going actually i just bought it for mystic meg to be honest you take the horoscopes out at your peril but mm. one thing that meg did that was different was she used to give these messages from beyond the grave at yes. the end of each column right uh, doreen of burnley the insurance policy you're looking for is under the birdcage And people were fascinated by that to the point where David Frost began his Sunday show every Mm. Sunday morning reading out what Mystic Meg had said (laughs) in these messages from beyond the grave. Incredible. And and what was she actually like as a woman? Well, I've spoke, I, you know, knew her briefly because she flitted in and out of the office. She'd come to a part, the sun parties and... Then I'm sure I met her again. at a party somewhere. Yeah, but she she never went there for long. She mm. was in and out. And I've spoken to her assistant who worked for a, for 35 years yeah. who said, I knew Meg, but I didn't know Meg. And right. she was had this sort of reclusive life. Yes. And, but everybody knew her because she went on the lottery yes. show in 1994. And so, she, was, lottery she, so she wasn't sort of owned, as it were, by the Suns. No. She, she was no. a sort of a she free was, agent. She was a free agent, yeah. but... Every Saturday, 
from 90 from November 1994 for three years mm. she appeared on the lottery show for it was only about a minute yeah I remember yeah it was and, very and short. she would say somebody in Sunderland's going to win the jackpot yeah and they did I mean we we had a sun syndicate that won 2.4 right. million yeah you got and some papers I've there. got a paper here from 2000 which is Meg predicting that somebody a Gemini mm should keep their lottery ticket right. in a yellow mug. Right. And this guy, Tom Naylor, didn't have a mug. He was a lorry driver. He right. didn't have a mug in his lorry. Right. So he put it in an atlas with yellow pages right. and won 15 million quid. Wow. And, that uh, is extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. I and, of course, to, in those days, the lottery was a big deal as oh, well. Oh, I mean, huge. Not so much huge, now, but in those yeah. days, it was a show that it was Saturday night television because everybody sat down on Saturday night and watched TV still. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much now, I suppose. But, but the lottery, and with her on it, it was a big thing, wasn't it? Oh, it was massive. And, and you know, Meg had a crystal ball and she had that dark hair yeah. and those sort of cat-like eyes. And she was what everybody would imagine an astrologer mm. and psychic to be. And yes. she loved it. And, she did and play people up loved to it. Her. And what was, I mean, you say that not a lot of people really knew the real mystic Meg, but was, what was her personal life like? Was she married? Did she have kids? She, she was born in Accrington. Yeah. And her dad was an RAF... Uh, radar operator okay. who went off to war mm. and then when he came back in, uh, about four years later her mum had fallen for somebody else mm. so Meg never really knew her dad mm. but in that time she lived with her great-grandmother who was a Russian Romany oh, right. who read tarot cards oh, and so that's crystal how she balls got the interest in it. Right. and, and at, at the age of seven apparently Meg had her uh, horoscope read right. and it was told that she would marry a very wealthy man. Mm. Now, later on, we fast forward sort of 30 years, and she fell in love with a pool's heir who was worth, in 1977, nine million quid. Wow. Nigel Maud. And sadly, he died in a car crash, mm. and she never had anybody else in really? her life after that. Probably heartbroken. Yeah. But yeah. she's what, you know, um, her agent, Dave Chaplin, I'm seeing here, was without any question, she was Britain's most famous astrologer by a million miles. Absolutely true. Um, and one of the things that people do in newspapers, you do a lot of, because you're a feature writer at The Sun, writing people's obituaries, but you have to do it, obviously, ahead of any news about whether they might die or not. But you only just wrote the obituary. Literally last night. Yeah. I that, finished that writing it at nine o'clock last night. Right. Six hours later, Meg had gone. Yeah. Um, and that's unheard of. Usually when you write yeah. an obituary... Um, you know, people go because on, seem to go on so for a long time. Yeah, so it's ready if, if something um, does happen, you, know, you don't have to suddenly um, scramble to but, do it. But she clearly, you know, knew that the ob obituary was gone and uh, yeah. was done and she went. Yeah, you know? astonishing. Uh, very sad. It is sad. And she died in the early hours um, after being admitted to hospital last month from flu. But 80 years of age, a reasonable innings, I suppose yeah. you would say. Yeah, yeah. And the great thing for us uh, as a newspaper is that she'd written quite a number of columns in advance yes. so we've got six weeks or okay. a month's worth so. and there'll be plenty in the paper no doubt tomorrow about oh, her yes. life and times absolutely yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Should, I should look forward to reading that so um, Mystic Meg um, I wonder if there's anybody who's going to become the new Mystic Meg well funnily like, enough if you go looking for somebody funnily enough I think she has made she's made her choice uh -huh. but it's surprising we've already had emails from uh, Horoscope Writers I'm sure, saying, yeah. could I have her job? Right. Well, you'll have to watch 
watch out and watch this space. If you can predict what we're going to say, perhaps <laughs> we'll let you. We'll let you in. We shall. We shall see. Mike, great to see you. Thank you very much Thank indeed. You, Mike. Uh, Thank Mike you. Ridley there from the Sun and tomorrow's paper. You'll see more and more about Mystic Meg, of course, who's died at the age of eighty. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're going to go live to Marco Longhi very shortly. He's an MP. He's down on College Green, of course. Uh, he's been one of those who's been very active uh, in persuading and pursuing Rishi Sunak and the Tory government uh, as a backbencher to get on with it when it comes to the migrant votes. But uh, just before we do that, I've got a bit of a, uh, a piece of bad news, really, for Harry and Meghan, uh, who have just christened little Princess Lilibet. Um, one, well, actually, two pieces of bad news. One piece of bad news is that apparently um, the person that they thought that had christened Lilibet isn't the person that they thought had christened Lilibet. Uh, it turns out that they thought it was the Archbishop of Los Angeles, um, but unfortunately the Archbishop of Los Angeles is a different person. It is in fact the most reverend Jose Gomez, right, um, who is a Catholic bishop um, and did not christen Lilibet. It turns out that the person who did christen Lilibet is John Harvey Taylor, who is the Bishop of Los Angeles in the diocese of the Los Angeles Episcopal Church. But it's not all, because it turns out the right Reverend John Harvey Taylor used to do another job. And you know what that was? He's apparently a former newspaper editor, which they will hate. But also, more importantly, he was chief of staff of the disgraced former US President Richard Nixon. <laughs> They're going to hate that. Harry, Harry, how did you pick this guy? He's a Republican. For God's sake. We want privacy. We want privacy. Let's talk to Marco Longhi uh, about a real story. Marco, very good morning to you. Or good afternoon, I should say. Good afternoon to you. How are you? Very well indeed. Uh, I said that you were one of the people who had very much... Um, sort of led the way on this migrant story for a very long time. You and I have spoken many times about the need to curtail this ridiculous um, onslaught of uh, the little boats, which have got bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. Uh, we've now got a tenfold yeah. increase in the numbers coming since just three years ago. Um, do you think this can work? I mean, to me, it's the, it's the most imaginative sort of um, announcement yet. Um. I'm an optimist, uh, Mike, and I will always want to support every possible endeavour to make sure that we bring an end to this absolute human misery. It's a misery for the very people that are coming over. Uh, we don't know how many people actually lose their lives or come to harm from the country they leave all the way up to Calais. We only know of those who tragically might lose their lives in the channel itself. But it's a misery for the rest of the country who see this as incredibly unfair. Mm. I have queues of constituents coming to my surgeries, desperate for housing, desperate for public services to work, and they do not because either they are taken up by others, principally people who arrive here illeg illegally, yeah. or actually the money that they are seeing being used, spent £7 million a day. Uh, on this is a complete nonsense when they see that, well, you know, shouldn't we pay, be paying our nurses more money, for example? And yes. that's a completely separate conversation, isn't it? You know, so this needs to stop. So I'm completely against uh, people like Gary Lineker and even uh, the Archbishop Justin Welby, who live in a world of their own, completely cocooned from 
the real world yeah. and just do not understand what real people think. Well, do you know, I'd have a bit more time for Archbishop Welby uh, if he was willing to donate some of the millions of acres of land and housing that the Church of England actually owns and runs in this country uh, and said, OK, well, why don't we house some of these migrants who are coming to our shores in Church of England properties? But he lives in a palace and he's not interested in that. Oh, quite. And he should be perhaps asking himself why it is that we are seeing an increasingly secular society and the pews increasingly empty. And that is because the church does not reflect what ordinary people think and want to hear. And you're quite right. They should be looking to put their money where their mouth is. And they, aren't they the ones who are professing all the time how we should be doing this, that and the other? You know, and uh, let, them, let them do that. Why don't they do that? I think that's a jolly good idea. Well, absolutely. And I mean, I'm not really interested in what Gary Lineker has to say. But what I am interested in is that the BBC's continued uh, insistence that he's not going to be disciplined for all of these outbursts, right? Clearly, the BBC, whatever anybody says, has got its own agenda about this government. Um, and quite frankly, the idea that he hides behind being a football commentator and not a news person, they've got him all over their news site uh, on the web, uh, BBC uh, um, uh, online, is full of stories about Gary Lineker and what he said. He also went to Qatar and did a programme about the human rights abuses by the Qatari government. So that, to me, makes him not any longer a sports commentator. And I wonder um, whether the BBC might feel some pressure from you guys. It is absolutely, it stinks of rank hypocrisy, doesn't it? You know, yeah. it's, it's awful. And, and, and it just reinforces that message amongst many politicians, myself included, that the BBC under its current governance is absolutely not fit for purpose. How can you possibly, possibly compare the worst atrocity in human history, mm. Nazi Germany, to what we are trying to do, which is actually, which is actually being kinder to the people uh, that uh, we are talking about by actually saying, look, if you, this is a deterrent. We don't, you know, if you come to the UK legally, you will be removed. And what yeah. will happen? They will just stop coming. That will save people's lives. And, you know, Welby and Lineker just don't understand that. No. They like to virtue signal on the back of the taxpayer. But let's not forget, there are also an awful lot of people making an awful lot of money here. We've got legal aid. Uh, for people who come here, uh, who want to stay here, uh, who can lose their case at asylum level and then take on um, the court's systems through the purposes of being funded by the taxpayer. You've got charities which are funded not only by the taxpayer, but also by government money, right, who take on the government, who uh, put welcome packages on beaches, who tell people exactly how they can ma manoeuvre their uh, story into staying in this country. You know, they might not be helping them come here, but they're certainly helping them once they get here. Uh, absolutely. And my good friend Lee Anderson visited uh, Calais uh, only a few weeks ago. I wasn't able to go myself. And he just came back absolutely outraged with stories that I just could not believe. Care for Calais, again, uh, you know, trying to come across as virtue singling and altruistic organisation. All they are doing is actually aiding the people smugglers business model by encouraging more and more people to come and undertake this this very very perilous and dangerous journey which is completely wrong for them and is completely wrong for the British taxpayer in so many other ways and I, I would invite I would invite people like uh, you know the, the people who run these charities and like to make these political statements or even Gary Lineker why don't you come and stand in a constituency like Dudley stand against me 
on that very message. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see how your politics goes at the ballot box, because that's the place to do it. Mm. Not at the back of the taxpayers, you know, platform or on any other platform that you've construed and, and, and has perhaps made you the, the figure that you are. Yes, absolutely right. I think that's a very good gauntlet to throw down to these bozos because quite frankly, and I know you can't call them that but I can, you know, uh, they need to put their money where their mouths are. Um, you know, Gary Lineker claims that he housed a, a Syrian refugee. Well, good luck to him if that's what he did. Um, but uh, I doubt that he's going to be doing that as a general principle. But let's talk about um, another story that's been massively big in the uh, uh, in the papers this week, Marco. The lockdown yeah. files. Uh, Daily Telegraph has obtained uh, a lot of these Matt Hancock WhatsApp uh, messages. Doesn't put him in a very good light. Doesn't put many of his advisers in a very good light. I don't know if you've been mentioned in them at all, but what do you make of it all? Ah, uh, well, I mean, I'm just appalled by it all. I really very much regret that. Uh, Matt felt the need to go to a, a, a journalist and do what he did. I very much then regret that the journalists felt that they needed to take that and, and, and put it in the court of public opinion mm. in that way. There is a separate place to handle these things. I'm, I, I'm shocked uh, by uh, what happened and extremely disappointed, uh, extremely disappointed because in the initial stages of the lockdown period, I actually felt that Matt did a half-decent job. Uh, but if, if, if what appears to be coming through on these WhatsApp messages and, and, and other platforms, then I'm sorry, uh, I, 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 I cannot be on his side and I, and I very much regret yeah. uh, that he's done what he's done. I think so. And I think that will damage Matt Hancock's legacy, whatever he thought it was going to be. Um, it certainly is now going to be this and it's going to be the way that he conducted himself, the way that he thought he could treat not only members of the public, but even fellow backbench Tory MPs. I mean, the, the thing that appalled me, and we spoke to him, to, to him the other day, um, James Daly, was that, you know, he was willing to put individual Tory MPs under pressure uh, to vote with the government, or they would have funding uh, uh, taken away from them. Well, obviously, had I known that that was happening, I would have not remained silent. No. Uh, and I'm very sorry. Nobody did. I mean, to, nobody to knew. James. I mean, he's, he's I a very to, good MP. Yeah. Yes. I no, mean, I spoke to James appalling. about it the other day, and even he didn't know that that was what they were discussing because it never actually happened. But the fact that they were discussing it alone was terrible. Exactly. Mm. I completely agree. I mean, I'm, it's, it's, it's completely unacceptable. And I, I, it just feels that the more that comes out, there needs to be a proper thorough investigation, yes. uh, a, a post-mortem, if you like, of what's yeah. actually happened uh, throughout that period. It's just completely unacceptable. The, this is the machinery of government being yeah. exposed in a way that it's never been exposed before. And, uh, and, and, and I'm just, it's, it's incredibly regrettable. What else? It makes you wonder, what else mm. does the government machine do that politicians like me are held accountable for at the ballot box when yes. we are thinking we're doing the right thing, right. when the motivations behind it perhaps might be completely no, wrong? Exactly right. Um, given that uh, the lefties blame you lot for everything, um, when are you going to make the weather better? <laughs> I was wondering about that. They do blame us for everything, they don't do. they? You know, but <laughs> they actually do. But listen, well, I've just given a speech at uh, 
uh, I've just given a speech, you know, at a, at, a, at a Brazilian delegation, and all the Brazilians are coming over, and they didn't complain about the weather, but the British diplomats that were based in Brazil were all complaining about the weather here in Britain. <laughs> what does that tell you? That tells you an awful lot about being British, doesn't it? You have to talk about the weather. Marco, good to see you. Thanks very much indeed. Have a good weekend. Marco Longhi, Conservative MP for Dudley North, uh, reporting in from College. It really is hellish out there. I don't know what it's like where you are. If you've got snow, you're in a good place, because we haven't. All we've got is torrential rain. And it's bloody annoying. But never mind. Um, Coming up at one o'clock, Ian Collins will be here, of course. Vanessa Feltz from four. Uh, Plank of the week from seven tonight. Um, uh, Before. Oh, no, it's not. That's tomorrow night, isn't it? What am I talking about? No, tonight it's uh, Jeremy Carl live. Uh, Well, he should have come on and reminded me. And it's Piers Morgan from eight o'clock. The talk from nine, which I'm on. Um, And then uh, it's first edition with Tom Newton Dunn. Coming next, though, it's Thursday club time. And it's day two of International Women's Day. Of course it is. This is Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.